I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. If you check out your podcast feed, you'll see that we've dropped three new episodes today. A look at how Asian American history is being taught in Illinois and how teachers are learning to share that history. Plus, a great interview with actor Isaiah Washington, who you may recognize as Dr. Preston Burke from Grey's Anatomy. He's got a new film out called Corsicana. Now, in this episode, we're going to dig into what lawmakers are doing to reduce gun violence in our state and beyond. In Springfield, legislators are pushing to ban assault weapons and large-capacity magazines, and they're doing it as the nation prepares to mark the 10-year anniversary of the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Joining us now with her thoughts is Sarah Kanijnik. She's the chair of the Gun Violence Prevention Initiative for the Lake County State's Attorney's Office. Sarah, before we discuss the details of what lawmakers are considering in Springfield, I wonder if you could just reflect on this anniversary. It'll be a decade since Sandy Hook on December 14th. What's been running through your mind this week? Yes, um, 10 years. Uh, it's heartbreaking to realize that we're still struggling day in and day out. Um, activists, professional and grassroots across this country uh, work almost around the clock, um, a decade on, uh, to, to do something about this horrible scourge in our country. Uh, however, I do hear a lot of people say to me, nothing has changed since Sandy Hook. And I, I just really want everyone to realize it feels that way, but it's not true. Uh, we've been able to make enormous progress in, in the last several years, and it's all because of the grassroots activism that came in the wake of Sandy Hook. Hmm. Well, I mean, according to the Gun Violence Archive, right, 2022, as I mentioned, it's going to be among the worst years with the most people killed on record. I, I wish I could ask how much progress has been made in the last 10 years. You said that there has been some, uh, but why hasn't there been more? Well, there hasn't been more because the opposition, uh, and I define the opposition not as gun owners or even gun dealers, but the gun industry and the gun lobby uh, that pursues its agenda in um, state houses and in Congress. They are opposition, and they are so much better organized and well-funded than the, the, those of us on the gun safety side. Uh, but I do, I would like to make a case uh, that so much has changed since Sandy Hook. Uh, one of my favorite stories in order to illustrate this is a few months after Sandy Hook, um, there was a bipartisan bill to get universal background checks. And we, it was widely believed that that bill would pass because if after all the death of 20 first graders uh, wasn't enough to get support in Congress, then what would? Um, the uh, effort to pass that bill failed because of very strong opposition in Congress uh, that was led by people who were beholden to the gun lobby. Uh, and uh, what you found this spring after the, the shootings in Buffalo, Uvalde, and Highland Park, what you found was uh, 10 Republican senators who finally came together uh, led by um, Senator Clyburn, who led the effort to defeat bipartisan background check bills uh, in six months after Sandy Hook. And this spring, when he was asked by um, an, a reporter why he led the effort to get bipartisan support for the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which Biden signed into law um, this summer, the first gun safety bill in 30 years mm -hmm. to become federal law, uh, what he said was, uh, I, he was asked, why did you support this bill when the gun lobby is against it? And he, his response was, I believe it's the gun lobby is against it because it doesn't fit their business model. So what he was really saying is we, even some of the most powerful Republicans in Congress, are not going to just blindly 
follow your will from now on. So it's really hard to see um, if you're not sort of in the middle of this work all the time. Instead, all you hear about is tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. But the only reason he said that in response to that reporter's question was because of the decades of advocacy led by survivors of gun violence. He knows that we're watching those Mm -hmm. of us out here. We're watching and we're listening, and we will not go away until we end this crisis. Well, let's dig into this bill that's under consideration in Springfield. It would ban the sale of military-style assault (laughs) weapons. It would also ban magazines that can hold more than 10 bullets. It would make it so that you have to be 21 years old to get a firearm owner's identification or FOID card. What are your thoughts on on, on this, Sarah? We, we know the shooter in Highland Park, for instance, uh, in your area, was able to skirt the existing FOID law. Well, um, you know, it's not exactly that he was able to skirt it. Um, the way I see it, he was able to get a gun because we have a policy in place that made it possible for him to get a gun. Um, his father, uh, he was underage, and so his father needed to sign an affidavit in order to give him the ability to get a FOID card, which is exactly what his father did. However, that affidavit required absolutely no responsibility on the part of the father at all. All it said was, my son has my permission to get a FOID card. Mm-hmm. It didn't say anything about whether or not he thought his son was mentally stable enough to own a firearm. Um, there's no, he did not have to take any responsibility at all. And what we need to recognize is that although it's incredibly wonderful, positive change, if we can increase the uh, eligibility age from 18 to 21 to get a FOID card, we need to go much, much farther than that. And the reason um, the, the shooter in Highland Park, his father was able to take no re- criminal responsibility or liability for that shooting is because that's the way the gun lobby wants it. The gun lobby and the gun industry, they benefit when violence is high, especially in our communities that are underserved, because then they use fear and racist marketing techniques to sell guns everywhere. And suddenly all of our, well, not suddenly, it took decades, but now all of our communities are awash in guns. We know we're able to have, or we're about to rather, we're about to have this divided Congress, right? Democrats in control of the Senate, Republicans of the House. So in that environment, is there anything you think the party can agree on? Well, (laughs) um, the parties, the two parties in Congress will agree when those of us that are in favor of gun safety, gun owners and non-gun owners alike, when we make enough noise, when we are loud enough uh, to push for more. And I could not be more thrilled and delighted with the Protecting Illinois Communities Act. I'm incredibly proud of our legislators in Springfield who have put this bill forward, but everyone needs to understand um, at all levels of government and just everyday residents that the Protecting Illinois Communities Act is just a small part of what we need. Banning assault weapons is wonderful, but the vast majority of the people who are killed in Illinois are not killed with assault weapons. So my greatest fear is that people who, who are of privilege who mainly fear school shootings and shootings uh, at parades, that they're going to think, well, as soon as we end, um, as soon as we ban assault weapons, then I don't have to worry about this problem anymore. Mm. That is a very dangerous way of looking at the problem because our the reason we had an event or we often have events like Highland Park is because we have failed to prioritize ending the kind of gun violence that happens every day in our underserved communities. And I would like to make that um, connection, if I may, for your listeners. 
when gun violence is high in black and brown underserved communities, the gun industry and the gun lobby, not gun owners, not the majority of gun dealers, but the gun industry and the gun lobby use fear and racist marketing techniques in order to sell guns to your neighbors, no matter where you live. When you combine that with decades of cultural change where we have dismantled norms and expectations about how to behave and be responsible with firearms, Mm -hmm. uh, you end up with the kind of disaster, the kind of crisis that we are living in today. Well, the legislature has a a short lame duck session in January, and the sponsors of the bill that we talked about, they say it's likely to come up for a vote and pass in that session. Are you feeling hopeful, Sarah? I'm very hopeful that it will pass, but I'm also more hopeful and far more focused on making sure that we keep the pressure on legislators, both in Springfield and in Washington, that we need to support the kind of uh, the kind of violence intervention work that is done in our underserved communities everywhere in Illinois. That's what we're doing in Lake County with the gun violence prevention initiative, but that we also address its root causes. Uh, So if you work to address gun violence through ending an assault weapons ban or stopping, uh, intervening in um, everyday gun violence in our underserved communities, that is all to the good, but is a very small part of the solution. The real solution is addressing the root causes, and one of the primary root causes uh, is the inequities in our criminal justice system, which is why the Safety Act and the end of cash bail is so such a wonderful development in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to keep pushing for those kinds of reforms. We need to keep pushing for greater and more funding for everyday um, for violence interruption programs yeah. in, in our underserved communities. And we need mandatory fingerprinting and a safe storage law in Illinois. We have a super majority of gun safety yeah. supporters in both the House and Senate and a governor who will sign bills into law. This episode of Reset was produced by Dan Tucker, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.